Hey, everybody, it's Miss USA 1999, Kimberly Pressler, and you're listening to Life After the Crown with Tim Pialdo. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Life After the Crown podcast, where each episode I bring you interviews with former pageant contestants, title holders, and women of influence who are now succeeding across many different industries in the real world. My name is Tim Tialdo, TV and pageant host, entrepreneur, author, and somebody who just wants to help you become better. Now, if you're wondering what life looks like after pageants, the advice, the stories, and the interviews that you hear on this podcast will not only inspire you, but help make your transition from pageants to professional life a bit easier to handle. So if this is your first time listening, thanks for tuning in. We're glad you're with us. Let's get started. Ladies and gentlemen, the first runner-up and winner of a $3,000 cash scholarship from Speedo is... Tennessee! That is actor and host Shamar Moore announcing Kimberly Pressler Miss USA 1999 at the Grand Palace in Branson, Missouri, and by the way, the fourth woman from New York to do so at the time. Since that time, she has become one of the most recognized and sought-after TV personalities in the pageant's history. She has graced television screens across the globe as a sports reporter and television host. Additionally, she has been featured in People Magazine, Time, and was voted one of Stuff Magazine's 101 Sexiest Women in the World. Her vibrant and adventurous nature has landed her gigs throughout the world for ESPN, Fox Sports, ABC, NBC, and the Speed Network. Her body of work includes the X Games, Red Bull X Fighters, and MTV's Fast and Famous, just to name a few. Currently, she serves as the Laneside Reporter covering the Professional Bowlers Association, or PBA Tour, airing weekly on Fox Sports and FS1, a position that she has held since 2010. Additionally, her sideline reporting duties expanded to cover Evil Live, an unprecedented three-hour live event that aired on the History Channel in July of 2018, and is a role she will be stepping back into in the summer of 2019 for Evil Live 2. The gorgeous and talented Kimberly Pressler. Great to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Oh, Tim, thanks so much. It's good to be here. I'm excited to be on your podcast. Well, hey, it's Miss USA week, and I thought, you know, who better to bring on the show than a former Miss USA? And, of course, you filled that role well. And, uh, of course, Miss USA is Thursday night coming up here on Fox. And even though the people couldn't see that reaction in the clip I played of you winning, um, you were absolutely ecstatic. And, you know, for the girls listening who are at Miss USA right now, kind of prepping for what's about to happen uh, just here in a couple of days, can you talk about how you prepared yourself to kind of make your run at the crown that year? Wow. Um, first of all, that video is absolutely amazing. <laughs> and you can tell that I took a pause because uh, at the time, you know, they go down from uh, 15 to 10 to 5 to 3. And so all that time, you want your name to be called, except when you're in the top two. And it never crossed my mind that when you're in the top two, like, first runner up in the winner, when you're standing there, you don't want them to call your name. <laughs> so in that video clip, you can actually see me when they call Miss Tennessee. It, I took a second and I was like, okay, Tennessee. And then I was like, that means I win because all the way up to that, you wanted them to call your name. But in that instant, you're like, don't call my name. Um, so there was a millisecond there where I had to think about it. And then elation is a very good word for it. Cause yeah, I was so excited. Um, it was a long road. Um, and I put a lot of effort and preparation into that year. Many might not know that it actually took me three years to win Miss New York. Um, I was not a big pageant girl. So I just remember when I was 15 years old and I was watching um, TV, Sarah Ray Gore was Miss New York Teen USA. And I saw her on Miss Teen USA. And I remember watching it and looking up at my mom and my stepdad and going, I'm going to be on the Miss Teen USA next year. And they, <laughs> I come from Franklinville, New York, which is a town at the time of 1500 people. We have one stoplight. And I remember them just like nodding their head, like smiling, like, okay, honey, of course you are. I got into the pageant. I ended ended up winning. And all, when I won Miss New York Teen USA, I remember being on stage clapping almost exactly the same way I did when I won Miss USA, saying, I'm going to be on national television. I was so excited because that's really all I wanted. 
Um, I went there. It was my, well, Miss New York Teen USA was my first major pageant like ever. And then I went to Miss Teen USA and I didn't place in top 15, but I took away from there knowing what I needed to do to come back and to be better. And I wasn't upset that I wasn't in top 15. I was just happy to be there. Uh, But I met a lot of girls that I am actually still in contact with today. And I adore that. I love the friendships that I made, but it took me three years to one Miss New York. The first year that I went into it, I just wanted to test it out because going from Miss Teen USA stage to a Miss stage, in my mind, I knew it was going to be much different. And I was still very young. Um, when I won Miss New York, I was 21. And that's still pretty young for someone who is from a tiny little town and um, who had only left a few times. When I was younger, I traveled a lot because my father was in the military. But for the most part, I stayed in my little humble surroundings <laughs> and I loved it. But I went into Miss New York the first year and I was in the top 15. And that was just kind of a trial run to see how how the Miss ladies acted and how they walked on stage. And of course, I used to watch all the previous years of Miss USA and Miss Teen USA and Miss Universe. And I used to see how they walked, see how they spoke so that I could be a little bit more mature because even at 21, I was still like this goofy little girl who loved to (laughs) just eat the icing off the top of a cake. And I did that while I was at Miss USA, by the way, that was my, did I do really good today? And uh, I felt like I was having a really great day. I would uh, let myself eat some frosting. And I was like, <laughs> yes, this is the best day That's ever. And a funny story is Miss Arkansas would eat the cake and I would eat the frosting. <laughs> so we we <laughs> so, had dinner together every night and we'd split a dessert. It was fantastic. So the second year I went into it, I really didn't give it 100%. And I knew it. I wasn't prepared the way that I should have been mentally or physically. And I went into it and I placed the top 10 and I was To be honest, I was really shocked I even placed the top 10 because these girls coming out of New York were gorgeous. They were tall and they were super fit and they were all the things that I was not, at least in my head, I did not think I was. So for the next year, I really, really decided that this is what I was going to do. I was going to go into it and I made up my mind, this is going to be the last year that I was going to go for Miss New York USA. And I was either going to win it all or I was going to stop competing. And the second year I went into it, I actually got first runner up. And I was like, wow, if I could be first runner up and I only put a portion of what I thought I could be into it, imagine what I can do if I really cleaned up my eating habits and really worked on deciding that I wanted to win this and really worked in preparation for mentally knowing what my stances were politically, what my stances were with what I wanted to do with the rest of my life, um, where I wanted to be, whether I wanted to be a businesswoman, whether I wanted to be the next president of the United States, doesn't matter what it was. I just need to figure it out so that I can get on that stage and be confident about whatever it was that they asked me to do. And so I didn't tell anybody. My best friend knew and my immediate family knew that I was going to Miss New York USA. I went and I was more confident then than I had ever been. And I was okay with everything because I had really put in the preparation. And even though I still didn't look the way that the other girls looked, and I'm only 5'4", and a lot of the other girls were 5'6", 7'8", some are you know, six feet tall, mm-hmm. They looked at me that I wasn't strong enough competition because I was 5'4". But the thing was, is I was going in there 100%. And so no matter what they thought, I was confident. And then I ended up winning. And then six weeks later, I went to Miss USA. So it was very, very, very fast. It was a lot of preparation, but it was absolutely well worth it. Because I knew that if I won the title of Miss New York USA, there was a short amount of time before I had to turn around and go to Miss USA. So (laughs) I needed to be Miss USA ready when I went to Miss New York. Let me ask you this. So you're 5'4". And as you mentioned, you know, some people look at you and they say, she's, she's, she's not what, what it takes. Does that, right. I guess, uh, for lack of a better term, does that piss you off when you're competing? It did not. I, and, I, and I'll tell you why. It, I mean, well, in the very beginning when I wasn't secure in who I was in competing, because again, I'm going into something after I won Miss New York, I'm going into a pageant where these girls you know, they compete many, many different times and they prepared for it for many years previous to that. And that is one thing I learned at Miss Teen USA. And I was like, well, that's not me, but I'm okay with that. But there was this very specific instance right after I won Miss New York USA, several of the states got together. We went to New York City and there were maybe 20 of the girls that I knew I was going to be competing against there. Mm -hmm. And This is the first time that I saw all of them super tall and slender with like 12 packs, you know, and their (laughs) arms were perfectly defined. And I was like, wow, these girls, like, they're like supermodels and gorgeous. And 
for the first time, I started to get worried and I started to doubt myself because no matter how many abs I did, you know, how many workouts I did, I was not going to have abs like that. I was not going to have defined arms like that. And in that instant, I realized that I am not competing with them. I'm competing with myself because the only person that's going to make me feel confident up on that stage is me. No matter how confident they are, no matter how tall they are, no matter how secure in their self they are, that's not going to change how I do on stage. The only thing that's going to change that is if I believe in myself. And in that moment, I realized that I'm not competing with, against them. I'm competing against myself. Even at five foot four, when all the newspapers were saying that I couldn't be taken seriously because I was too petite, it didn't faze me because I was going in prepared and I, will, I realized that I wasn't competing against them. And that once I realized that, this weight was just lifted off of me. And I went into Miss USA completely different with a completely different mindset. And I went in and I had a great time instead of worrying about how amazing they looked in their bathing suits. In fact, I did just the opposite. When I got there, I was like, girl, you look amazing. Good job on those ads. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I found that that was empowering to me that I gave them credit where credit was due. That didn't make me less of a competitor. It just made me more confident in who I was. Well, a really good lesson there. And you had brought up something a little bit earlier about winning the crown when you said you don't want to hear your name. Now, they did it different back in 1999 when the, the way they announced yep. it. They would say the runner-up first and then the winner. Mm -hmm. And I always felt like mm -hmm. from, a from a host standpoint, I'm thinking you're totally taking away the energy of the moment from the winner by doing so. Uh, do you like yeah. the way they do it now where it's just the straight, here's, here's the winner and that's it? Yeah, I think I've been in your position where I have hosted um, pageants before and I would much rather call out the winner's name just because you get that instant reaction as opposed to you're, what you're doing is when it's the other way around, you're, you're watching this very raw moment in a woman who has worked just as hard as you have to get there. And they focus on the moment that she is not winning first. <laughs> and that, that just, that breaks my heart because, you know, even though I, you know, I'm there to win, I, I want everybody to win. I want everybody to walk around with, walk away with that crown, but only one person can. Um, and I think when you announce the first runner up first, that you focus on their time when they just heard that they weren't going to win. And that that's that's heartbreaking to watch. Well, and it's the weirdest transfer of energy because it's like you got runner up. Congratulations. Now get off the stage. Here's the winner. And, you know, it's just it's this really weird transition and it's kind of yes. almost tough to do. Yeah, you, you described it perfectly. <laughs> well, hey, I was talking uh, this morning, actually, uh, and I had her on my podcast last year, your Miss USA predecessor, Sean A. Jebbia. And oh, one of the Sean things, Day, I adore yeah, her. she was really interested uh, or, or thought was really interesting about her year uh, and winning the crown at the time in the late 90s was the fact that, you know, that was when the Miss USA pageant uh, really started to take off in the ratings. And, you know, Trump had bought the organization a few years before. There were now more perks if you won the title compared to some of the previous winners. Talk about what your year as Miss USA was like and, and maybe the doors that it opened for you. So the year that I was Miss USA was the first full year that um, Mr. Trump had owned the pageant. So I was his first full trial run. And there were little ups and downs with that because it, I literally lived in, I won Miss USA and I moved to uh, Los Angeles because previous to my year, that's where you moved was mm -hmm. Los Angeles. And that's where you stayed throughout your reign. So I moved there for the first three months. I then left and went to Miss Universe. And when I came back from Miss Universe, I moved into my apartment in New York City. So that was a little bit of different of transition. Yeah, but imagine. the good part, just a little bit, but the good part about it was um, I got to see it from the ground up. I got to see um, the steps that we're taking and implemented to show what it is today. And I think when you talk about the doors that are opened, there are so many things that you can take from your reign as Miss USA, because some people don't know it, but when you become Miss USA, it's a one-year full-time job. You are there for the next 365 days, not just representing yourself and your brand, but Miss USA and going to all these different charity events um, and promoting the charities uh, that they pick out for you, but also that you have for yourself that you want to promote. So you go and do that, but you, I took the stance is that 
it wasn't just a job for me, but it was a job interview. Everybody I met, maybe somewhere down the line, I'd meet them again, or maybe I'd work with them again. So I, I kind of took the stance of when I was preparing for Miss USA that I did when I was Miss USA, that I wanted to make sure that I put my best foot forward. So everything I went into, I made sure I prepared for so that one day I might get a job out of this. And it just so happened that's exactly what what became of it. Because when I was Miss USA, I did quite a few things on MTV for TRL. And uh, after I crowned my successor, I moved to Los Angeles the very next day. And within a month, I had a signed contract on MTV. And it's because of the relationships that I put together while I was Miss USA that I was able to get that job. And that started my career off as, you know, a TV host and sports reporter. Wow. And that was a big time for M- MTV at the time. TRL was huge at that time, if I remember yeah, correctly. Yeah, it was. It was. Am I totally dating myself? That was no, when they played music. I'm right there with you. It's totally okay. <laughs> During uh, your year as Miss USA, uh, you were an official spokesperson for breast and ovarian cancer research. Why did you choose that platform? Well, that was a platform that they chose for me. Um, and I... In fact, I loved it, though, because it was something that um, was near and dear to my heart to begin with, because uh, my mother actually had cancer uh, growing up when she was growing up. She had stomach cancer when she was 14 years old. Thankfully, she is still with us and um, it has not come back. But cancer in general was something that, that I had experienced within my immediate family. And so it was important for me to get out there. Something that I brought to the table was Special Olympics. I had worked with them for years prior to becoming Miss USA. And the Miss Universe organization was so amazing with allowing me to continue using that as a platform. And I went to so many different um, events for Special Olympics during my reign uh, that it just it just left this really amazing place in my heart. And I love the Special Olympics. But I also really love the fact that I had a chance to talk to people and uh, get the, you know, the importance about getting mammograms, how important it was and still is to this day. You should still be doing that. Um, it was really great to be able to be someone on the forefront, getting that information out there in a time when people, honestly, they they didn't want to talk about that type of thing. So you're a military kid. I believe your I dad am. was a staff sergeant in the Air Force. You lived all over the place before settling in New York, where you eventually, as you mentioned, won your state crown. Uh, what was it like growing up in the atmosphere of being a military kid traveling all around? And, and how did that relate to you eventually competing in pageants? Uh, I absolutely loved growing up in a military household. I loved traveling. I loved being on the base. I loved at four o'clock every day we stopped um, and the national anthem played and everybody stopped. It is a sense of pride for me to know that my father was in the military. He served for 24 years. My stepmother also served in the Air Force and my sister served in the Air Force. So I am beyond proud of them and their accomplishments. And the one thing that I take away from it, even more so, and I try to instill into my daughter is because of our military, because the sacrifices that they are making and because they are out there protecting our rights and my freedom, that I get to be a host. I get to be on TV every single week. I get to to interview people for a living. And it's an amazing job but because of them in every branch of the military, I get to do the job that I absolutely love. And I think growing up in a military, it just gave me, it gave me this sense of respect for them that has never gone away. It gave me a sense of family no matter where I was. And it's the one thing that I remember we used to move around a lot when I was a kid. Uh, I lived in Germany for some time as well. And I just remember my dad saying it doesn't, you know, home is where our family is. It's not where our new address is. Does that make sense? It does. And for me, that resonated. And now I travel all the time. I try and bring my my daughter, who is now 10, I try and bring her with me as much as I possibly can. But I try to instill that in her, that no matter where we go, no matter what we do, home is always where our family is. And it's not a number on a street. Now, I read in your bio that uh, it says before you were a TV host after you know competing in Miss USA, you were a former Department of Energy nuclear plant employee. <laughs> Quite a contrasting <laughs> job from being a TV host. How did you get into that? A contrast indeed. So my stepfather worked at a nuclear power plant about uh, 25 minutes from my hometown of Franklinville. And he worked there for as long as I can remember, all during my childhood. 
And then when I had a summer off from college, I applied to to intern there and I got the job and that job turned into a full-time job. So after the summer, they hired me full-time and that's where I stayed. And I did, so I started off in the office and then I kind of moved my way up. And before I won Miss New York USA, I just applied for a job to actually put on the hazmat suit and go in and they do this process called, I know it's crazy, right? Um, They do this process. It's a specialty uh, nuclear power plant where they do this process. It's called vitrification. It's where you take radioactive waste in um, uh, like liquid form and you condense it into a solid form that so it can be stored. I actually applied to be in that position to do that, to go in there and do those things. And then I went to Miss New York and I took a complete left turn. And then I was on, you know, the Miss US stage six weeks later. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine where my life would have been if I, if I wouldn't have won Miss New York. When you won Miss New York, was it, did you always want to be a TV host? I mean, was that your goal? Is that what you wanted to do? Honestly, no, I, I, you know, I never longed for a Hollywood career or being on television. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew that I loved public speaking. I knew at some point I wanted to be a business owner. But here's a little tidbit that I I don't think that I've ever publicly shared. I wanted to be a Marine. Wow. And it was, yeah, it was was in my eyeline that after Miss New York, I was seriously thinking about going into the Marines. (laughs) There goes that military lifestyle again. I love, like, I love the military lifestyle. And I I thought the Marines best fit my personality and could best pull out the leader that I wanted to be. And then again, it changed because I won Miss New York of, and then went to Miss USA and the rest is history. But yeah, that is one thing that I knew that I wanted to do was be a Marine. So being on TV never really crossed my mind. I only started to think about what is it that I wanted to do after I won Miss USA because I love my hometown, but I just felt like before I moved back there and, you know, get married and start a family or whatever it is that I wanted to do, I should hit the ground running and see what would become of the work that I put in as Miss USA. And then, like I mentioned previously, I moved to Los Angeles literally the very next day after crowning my successor, and I got my job hosting on MTV. And you want to hear a little tidbit? Mm-hmm. My, I went in for the initial interview with them, and they said... So in order to get this job, you need to jump out of an airplane because it wasn't just an ordinary job of like hosting and asking questions. They wanted me to actively participate within the show. And so I was like, jump on an airplane, done. Let's go do it. And literally a few days later, we went to Lake Paris here in California and I tandem jumped out of an airplane and (laughs) I got the job. How crazy is that? You had to jump out of a plane to be on MTV. I, I think yeah. know, for the fact that you you know never really saw yourself being a, a TV host or, or being in Hollywood or anything, are you surprised at how good you were at it when you started doing it? And I mean, obviously, it's it's carried you for 20 years here. Oh, that's, that's very sweet of you to say. Um, I think that it was kind of trial and error. But the thing that I figured out very quickly is I just had to be myself because it, again, it goes back to that quirky, you know, early twenties girl. And I still feel like that, that I am that person um, in my heart is that I don't take things too seriously. I'm okay with laughing at myself, but on the other spectrum of that, I prepare for whatever it is that I'm going into. Like uh, on that same show, I had to roll a car. Uh, I jumped out of a plane again. I had bow and arrows, um, like shot, I had an apple shot off my head and I was doing a stand-up on top of a semi on a bridge <laughs> in San Francisco. But I had to prepare for those. So I had to learn my lines. I had to try and not be completely terrified out of my mind, which is very hard to do. And uh, so I prepared before I even got there for those things. I, you know, watched as many videos as I could. I, you know, uh, learned different stunts. Uh, I watched videos on stuntmen and how they rolled and things like that, just in case I needed to do it. Thankfully, I, I never had to like jump off that semi or anything like that. But I, I thought about the process ahead of time so that when I got into it, I felt confident. So it wasn't necessarily that I was automatically really good at it. It was two things. I prepared for it and that I just allowed myself to be myself. 
sometimes that works out for me, sometimes not so much, but so far it's been pretty good. What an adrenaline-filled first uh, job in that in that line of work. My gosh. So was. I want to ask one more pageant question, then we'll get into more about your yeah. TV hosting and the career that you have had since that time. Uh, I know that you've hosted the Miss Massachusetts USA and Teen USA pageant, and you also still frequently judge pageants here and there. I got to yeah. ask you, uh, I'm a judge, you're a judge. As a former Miss USA, what is it, I guess, the top things that you look for uh, out of somebody that, you know, you would crown as a title holder? Oh, that's... That's a good question. And the, the main thing I can say is that there is an it factor that shines through for each individual girl. Um, I judged the uh, Miss Connecticut pageant in 2012 um, and selected Erin Brady, who then went on to win Miss USA 2013. And I was oh, yeah. also the judge at Miss USA in 2015 when Olivia Jordan won. And the thing that I can tell you is that interviewing them, they were very confident in themselves without being conceited. They had this shining it factor that just came through, that they knew who they were. No matter what question I asked them, they were confident, and not because they prepared an answer, but because they knew themselves. And I think when you know who you are, there's this level and this aura that comes with it so that you can honestly say, this is what I think, this is what I believe, and there's no judgment coming with it. When you have that type of confidence, it shines through. And it's something that I call the it factor. And you can work at getting it. And a lot of people have done that. I have internally, I feel like I have done that for myself. But there's also people that it just, it's just kind of there. It's that extra little sparkle. And you get that extra little sparkle by knowing yourself. And I think that's so, so, so important coming into a pageant. So you were a judge at 2015 Miss USA. So uh, I had Olivia on yep. about two months ago, and we had a long and drawn-out conversation about her prep and everything that she visualized doing on stage and, uh, you know, possibly from her mind what you guys as judges thought, you girls as judges thought. I want to ask you now, so I get to see the, hear the other side of the tale, is, you know, f- for her, uh, one of the big criticisms going in from a lot of people was the big uh, uh, the ball gown, the pink ball gown. You remember the po- pink ball gown? Yes. Yeah. Did you, yeah, as a judge, did you love that because it stuck out or did you kind of think the color was a little outrageous? Um, the gown didn't matter to me. I didn't, I really, I saw the girls coming out here. Listen, all of them look gorgeous. Their personal preference on what they decided to wear does not affect me as a judge in any way, shape or form. It's how she carried herself. That's what mattered to me from the second she walked on that stage, because they have to stand there. I, as a judge, I like to see the girl standing there before they, the, the light shines on them and they start to walk because that's in that moment, you can tell whether or not she's confident in herself and then they start to walk. And then you see, you see the pageant prep that they put into it. But in the moment that they're standing in the, the darkness over on the left-hand side of the stage, that's when I like to check out the girl because that's when you see if she's comfortable in her own skin before you see the preparation walk. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. I like sense. to really see, see them at a raw moment as opposed to the prepared moment. So it doesn't matter what the girl wears. They can wear a $30 gown, a $300 gown, or a $30,000 gown. It makes no difference to me because that's their personal style. And I'm not there to judge their style. I'm there to judge whether or not I can put her in a plastic bag and she's going to rock it. Well, then let's talk a little fact versus fiction here because I think there's this thought among many of the girls that compete right now that the girl that goes out there at Miss USA and knocks her top five or top three question out of the park is almost always the girl that wins. Now, I remember Olivia's question. I believe it was, uh, I think, uh, who was going to be on the $20 bill or something like that. And I know she did a very, I think she had a very good answer from what I recall. Um, for you, is there a lot of weight on the, on the way they answer those questions when they get into top five? So leading up to before we hear them speak, obviously you are judging them on the way that they not just look, but the way that they carry themselves and whether or not they have that it factor. And again, like I said, that shines through on, on some girls more than others. But personally, as a judge, when it comes to uh, speaking in public, 
I weigh very heavily on how they speak and answer their questions. Because the thing is, it's a one-year full-time job. You are going to be put in situations where they ask you questions that you're not going to be prepared for. How are you going to handle those moments? Or they'll ask you something that you're not even clear about. And you need to be able to come with either a witty answer, a funny answer, or just be able to answer it in a way that, that makes it sound like you did know what you were speaking about. So it's important to me that they speak very well on stage and respond to their questions. So I may have liked the way that they walked in their gown and, and they might look an absolute knockout in bathing suit. But if someone comes up on that stage and they say something that that really is amazing. I'm like, yep, this girl, this girl can handle it when they're asking her 40,000 questions. This girl can answer standing in front of a press conference with only two hours of sleep after flying for 19 hours straight. This girl can handle that pressure. And that's why I weigh heavily on the interview portion. Do you remember in your year as Miss USA, did you run into those scenarios in which, you know, you felt the pressure that you felt the night of the pageant, you know, when you were in that top five? It was it was a little bit different for us because we had three on stage interviews. One of them just happened to be a rapid fire. I think it was the only year they did that it was my year. And they did this like rapid fire question. It's supposed to be a mock press conference and you stand there and they ask you questions. And one of them, I gave a really ridiculous answer to. And I remember thinking... <laughs> and. I remember thinking to myself, what, where did that come from? And I was in myself. I remember going backstage being baffled, like, where did that come from? And then I was like, okay, now you need to just put it behind you and wow them from here on out. And to my surprise, nobody ever asked me about that question that I terribly fumbled on. And I was like, cool, that's great. So I dwelled on it more than, I, than anybody else. But I think that in the moment, it's how you carry yourself. I didn't look like I gave, I didn't look after I gave the answer. I didn't look like, oh my goodness, I just totally messed that up. I just jumped on to the next question. Like I was confident that that's what I wanted to say all along, even though it wasn't. So I have been in that, I have been in that moment before where they've asked me something and I felt unprepared, but you know, I guess I pulled it off and they thought that I knew what I was talking about. Fake so it till you it make it, right? in my favor. Yeah, fake it till you make it. Exactly. Well, I appreciate you answering all the pageant questions. Thank you so much. Now, I want to, of course, get into your uh, illustrious TV hosting career because it's obviously something I know about as well. And uh, you have done a fantastic job and I've seen you quite a few times Aww. over the years. Um, and now I, I got to ask you, based on your career... You seem to have this real fascination with, uh, I guess, extreme sports and also motorsports. You've hosted things like the X Games, Adrenaline X on NBC. You've got, done a bunch of different Red Bull events, which are always, you know, adrenaline-filled events. Uh, off-road racing, Fast and Famous. I think you talked about Senseless Acts of Video, where you were doing some of the outrageous things on camera there. Where does the, I guess, want to do those particular types of shows come from? So that is a really great question. And the, and the answer to it is I never chose to gear my career towards motorsports. It really? just, okay. so yeah, absolutely. It just so happened that way. So I grew up again in this tiny little town and we used to go to the races a lot. My uncle raced, my best friend's father raced. And so I used to go to that. I used to watch my uncle Doug take apart a carburetor and I used to help him put it back together. So I was familiar with all of those things growing up. And then after I won, um, after I won Miss USA and then gave up my title and got my first hosting gig on MTV, it was about extreme sports. It was about music videos, but mostly based around extreme sports. And then after my time at MTV hosting that, I just, I got a name for myself for for knowing about motorsports. And again, I didn't really know about motorsports until I got into it. And I started preparing for all the shows that we were doing so that when I asked one of the athletes a question about it, they, you know, I didn't sound ridiculous and it was all preparation. And then after that, it just led into one job after another. In fact, that's how I got my job on ESPN is I had done, like you mentioned, MTV and then NBC, and it was all kind of extreme sports related. And I absolutely love covering it. But ESPN called one day and said, you know, 
we've heard your name quite a few times in the motorsports world. And, and we have this new show. It's called the ATV Championships coming up. It's brand spanking new. We'd love you to come on to it. And I was like, absolutely. And yes. that started my 12 years with ESPN. So, Well, let's talk about the X Games because this is something that has yeah. you know, really proliferated over the last 20 years. Um, I live out here in Colorado. Of course, most of the, the, the big ones that everybody knows about are up in Aspen. Um, what's it like to cover such a different type of, you know, we'll call it like an amateur Olympics in many ways uh, for the snow sports realm? Um, it's got to be fun up there because it really seems like it's just great energy all put into this one little town for a week or two. It is absolutely amazing. And covering it as a woman in a motorsports world, you know, which is male dominance, uh, it, it gave me this little insight to how everything worked. And it was amazing. Uh, it was tough because, again, I'm coming off as a pageant girl. So, you know, a lot of people were skeptical that this pretty little girl who likes to wear, you know, mascara and have her manicure, uh, is she going to be able to cover motorsports and talk about uh, dirt bikes and snowmobiles and ATVs and talk about the dirt and talk about transition and talk about the lines and talk about if a motor goes down, what's the matter with it? And I love the fact that people underestimated me going into it. Any day of the week, I would I would love for people to underestimate me so that all the preparation that I put into it, mm-hmm. I can come in there and knock it out of the park. I loved covering X Games. I was the first female to cover uh, Summer X Games, Winter X Games, and the Navy Moto X as a pit reporter position. And I do not take that lightly. I love the fact that they they believed in me enough to know that I could do this. And I was honored that they uh, let me be a part a small part of this franchise that is absolutely booming and it resonates with um, the youth and the up and coming and really just sets the bar in extreme sports. And it's, it's, it was pretty amazing to be part of it. Well, I would imagine, you know, doing the X games, especially in those early days of it, I mean, you're covering events that literally, I mean, you're talking about sports or events that you may have never even heard of before. And you have to sound like, you know, what you're talking about. Was that challenging at all to, to kind of figure out how to do that? Absolutely. It was, it was, it was one of the most challenging things that I've ever done. So for my first summer X games, they had 10 motor sports that had to be covered at, I believe two different venues. And I was covering eight of them. So there were a whole lot of athletes. Yeah, it was a, it was a lot of work and it was in the California sun. So it was a lot of prep. It was a lot of work, but it was absolutely worth it. Uh, I did a lot of studying. I did watched a lot of interviews about the athletes that I was going to be covering. And I was, I was covering some sports that I had never been part of. So that, that was very tough, but I just, I narrowed it down to like the top 10 that I, I thought I could create stories from, and then I went and interviewed them. And from there, I I would create questions or storylines that I think that I could, if something happened within the race, I'd be like, perfect. This guy took over the second place, you know, in his last race, and he waited to the very last second before he charged the leader. When in fact, it actually worked out really well because I did a voiceover at one point and that's exactly what happened in the race. And he ended up winning and I felt wonderful. I was like, yes, again, (laughs) my preparation paid off. And I I feel like a bookworm because I just have my head studying all these notes and it just kind of gets confusing sometimes. But at the end of the day, it's, it's worth it. You put that hard work in ahead of time, you'll flourish in the moment. Well, yeah, let's talk about that because I think that's incredibly important. And when we're talking about hosting with a lot of the other people that I have on here, it's not something that we talk a lot about, but I can tell you, uh, being in a position that you've been in, how important that is. My mentor, when I very first got started in the business back in 01, was Nancy Odell. I worked at Access Hollywood, and one of the biggest oh, lessons she taught me was preparation. And I watched her prep for some of the interviews and was just uh, blown away by how good she was. And listening to you talk about it almost in the exact same way that she used to talk about it to me, um, it's such an incredibly important part of being a great host. Where did it come from for you? Did you just learn it on your own or did somebody teach you? You know, I think this comes back to, you know, my military upbringing is that my dad was prepared for everything in that he that's how he taught me to be. And part of his personality just seeped right into me. And that's how I have been my entire life. I made the change. Like I told you, um, when I went for Miss New York, I just, I just made the switch and I said, okay, 
I'm going to prepare for this. I'm going to put my head down. And when I did that and I focused and I prepared ahead of time, I saw the best person I could be. And then I knew going into that, that that's how I had to take every aspect of my work life in that I need to be prepared because again, coming from, even though it's a very prestigious title winning Miss USA, because I was in beauty pageants, oddly, there is this stigma that comes with it that, you know, maybe I don't have the brains to back something up, specifically when you're going into a male dominant role, as in motorsports. So I never wanted to feel the sting that they were right. So I always prepared. And I probably put more time into preparation than I needed to. But that's where I gained my confidence from. So that when I went into a situation that I was like, oh my goodness, I, I, I've never covered this event before, that I could take a deep breath and go, listen, I prepared. I did everything I could to learn everything about this person. So no matter what I ask him or what happens with what happens within the race or in freestyle motocross, if he does a trick, I know that I have done my homework. So I know what that trick is and what it entailed for him to get there. And if I did that, then no matter what happened, I'd be able to ask him a question and I'd be able to respond to his question and his answer. So you basically kind of set a standard for yourself where you say, look, the bar is set here. I'm never going to go below that bar going into any event that I do. Absolutely. I never said it that way, but I think that's exactly <laughs> what it is. I, have a, I, I, I set a bar for myself so that um, I always feel prepared because I, I think that a lot of people would feel this way. But if I go into something and I really haven't put in um, the time to learn everything I can about it, you know, I get anxious. I get a little bit nervous and, mm -hmm. and I don't want to feel that way. I want to be able to take a deep breath and go, you got this girl, you've got this. You put the time <laughs> in, you are prepared. And that's how I want to feel. And I go live every single week on Fox and or FS1. And no matter how prepared I am, I always get a little nervous. And I love that feeling. I love the nervousness because we're going live or, we're, you know, everyone <laughs> around the world is going to see this. And that, that kind of nervousness, amazing. But the nervousness and, and anxiousness that I get that if I didn't do my homework, that I do not like to feel. So, yeah, I set the bar kind of high for myself. And I hope I implement that, that type of bar into my daughter. Um, growing up because it's important that she sees me being the best version of myself so that, again, my personality, just a little bit of it, you know, might trickle down to her. Well, I have no doubt that you are setting a great example for her, and I'm sure you're going to see the results uh -huh. of that here in a few years. Uh, you have one Thank other aspect so of hosting um, that I think really you uniquely can describe uh, because I've never experienced it in hosting because I've never been part of that, but I'm talking about motorsports. Now, I had Laura Rutledge from ESPN on last week, and we were talking about oh, cool. the roar of the crowd being a sideline reporter at a college football game or the national championship yeah. or whatever. But I can't yeah. imagine that it even comes close to how loud it is in the pits yes. during a race. I mean, I remember watching Absolutely. a race one time, and I was like, I have no idea how she can hear. I mean, I, don't, I mean, seriously, even with the headphones, I'm like, how can she even hear what they're saying to her? Talk about what it's like. There is nothing like being in an arena with 40,000 screaming fans, and you have 10 freestyle motocross dirt bikes ready to go out and put on an amazing show for these fans and the roar of the engines going. Um, it gives me chills and I love to hear it. And uh, if you can experience it, you absolutely should. Just, uh, just the feeling you get from being there uh, is something that is, you can't really put words into it until you're there. And when you watch it on TV, you still get a little tingle because, you know, you get to be, you get to see it visually, but when you're there and you're standing in the middle of it and that engine is revving up and it literally vibrates your entire body, <laughs> you're like, okay, woo, let's do this. It, it gets you so pumped up and ready for the show and it keeps you energized. And I absolutely love it. And then another aspect of that is when uh, this last summer I did the Evil Live and we did it in Las Vegas. It was a three hour live television event. And Travis Pastrana was doing three separate Evil Knievel jumps. And uh, if you're not familiar with Travis Pastrana, he is, uh, goodness, 
he is like the godfather of freestyle motocross. And he is the head honcho of Nitro Circus. And this is his vision. He wanted to, he loved what uh, Evil did in the past. And he just wanted to honor him. So he decided to reenact three of his jumps. And he didn't just do it on a dirt bike. He did it on a 350-pound Indian bike that was very, very, very similar to the one that Evil did. So if he was going to do it, he was going to do it the exact same way that Evil did it. Um, We were in Las Vegas and we had two different locations and so many fans showed up. I actually don't even know the full number of it. I think it was like 30 or 40,000. There were so many fans that half of the Las Vegas Boulevard in front of Caesars Palace was shut down. <laughs> they and, and, and they weren't expecting it to. It was shut down because the overflow of fans and people were going into Las Vegas Boulevard and they literally had to shut it down. And then I was standing, I remember this one moment, I was standing at the very top of the landing ramp waiting for Travis to come through this sea of people, thousands and thousands of people. And he was coming down. And I remember looking up at all of the, you know, skyscraper hotels. And there were people on all the balconies across the street. And if you turn behind me at Caesars Palace, you saw people in all of the windows and all these restaurants. And as far as the eye could see, it just was people and people and people. And I remember thinking, wow, this is a moment in history. And I can't believe that I'm part of it. And it's live on television. But because of what I get to do for a living, I was there and I was in that moment and I got to experience that and those kind of things. I'm so grateful and I'm so humbled that I get a chance to do what I do for a living because it's those moments that I take away and I'm like, this is really cool. Isn't that <laughs> just the coolest feeling? I won Miss USA. It's uh, you know, so in, amazing. In hosting, I mean, it's like you just, you want to be in the middle of the action. It's like you love you the do. pressure of the moment and it's like, it's you know, it's my job to make these people cheer. And so it makes it yeah. fun. And I love that. It makes it so much fun. And the, and the thing is, is you're in that moment with the winner. And then it's your job, not only to be, you know, to, to, to give the information to everybody who's listening, but also stay present with, with the title holder who had just won. And you want to get her, re, her most genuine reaction to it. And you want to stay in that moment. And you want to, add to that moment, but you have to add to it in a way that doesn't take away from what she's doing. And I applaud you because that is a very tough job to do. And it's tough, but um, it's a job unlike any other. Somebody's got to do it, right? um, Yeah, absolutely. And it's a (laughs) a really fun job. Like, you know, you get to do something and be part of that, that girl's moment. She will always remember you always. And that's pretty rad, right? Yeah, of course. Now we go from extreme sports to all the stuff that you were doing there to, uh, I got to ask you, where does bowling come into play? Because as we mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, you've been doing that for the last nine years uh, as a lane side reporter for the PBA. Uh, Where'd that come from? So I had my daughter um, in 2009 and I took a very short maternity leave. It was uh, just under two months. And then I got back into motorsports again. I was hosting, um, I was doing the Traxxas Torque truck racing series on ABC Sports, and I was traveling every single week with a newborn. She came with me everywhere. Mm. And I had another show on as well, and I just got burnt out. I said, I, I can't be the mom that I want to be and be doing these live events, which take a lot of energy and preparation, like we've already talked about, all at the same time. So I took, I took some time off. And then um, ESPN and the PBA, the professional bowlers tour, came to me and said, we have this job and we really would love for you to do it. And I said, okay, I've never covered bowling. I mean, I know how to bowl. Everybody knows how to bowl. It's easy and it's fun and it's a family pastime, but I've never covered it. So I'm coming in green. And the other aspect of that, when they said, yeah, that's totally okay. We think you're going to be amazing for it was that I didn't want to be away from my daughter that much. So if they agreed upon me being able to leave on Friday, do a live show on Sunday and either come back on red eye on Sunday night or early Monday morning, if that was the only time that I had to leave her, then I would do it. And they were very accommodating when it came to that. And they were very understanding that, you know, um, she 
is my number one priority and being her mom is my number one priority. And once everyone was on board with all of that, I said, okay, let's do it. And I went to the World Series of Bowling, which was my first uh, show that I did for them. And I was like, this is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I can totally do this. And it's so much fun. And it was in complete contrast to coming from a motorsports world, which is um, loud and boisterous and tattoos and speed and go, 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 go to technique and quiet. And it was very uh, family oriented, not just with the families being there with, um, with the bowlers, but just in the uh, PBA family in and of itself. Uh, And I realized, okay, I can make this transition and I can make it work. And I think I'm really going to enjoy this. And even though I am taking on some Nitro Circus stuff and I'm taking on other work here and there, uh, the PBA has been my main thing for the past nine seasons. And I love it. I love covering it. And now that uh, we've transitioned over to Fox Sports, it's become even more amazing. They are behind the sport 100%. And the graphics and the visuals and the time and the effort that they put into it to make uh, this sport of bowling, you know, really fun to watch and really hype it up because all these new and up and comers are, you know, coming down the line. It's, it's you know, it's changing it's changing the talk of it, and it's uh, it's exciting to watch. Well, so you have 20 years of experience doing, as we've mentioned, a lot of really cool and fun jobs. So if you could take the last two decades and kind of knock it down to what do you think the best or coolest job that you ever got to do is? I know this is probably going to be a tough one to pick. Wow. That is really tough. It, it's Yeah, that is so tough. Okay, so there were several <laughs> moments that I would consider um, – peaks that I will never forget. One was the Travis Pastrana, the Evil Live one that I just mentioned mm-hmm. um, from last summer. Uh, they're doing an Evil Live too, so I'm super excited about that. It's going to be in July of 2019 of this year, so I can't wait to see what they're going to do there. So that might be up there as well. But also um, in the bowling world, Jason Belmonte out of Australia, he just won his 11th major. In the history of the PBA on television, which has been over 40 seasons, Nobody has ever had 11 majors. And I was there when he won that last month. And that was pretty cool to be a part of. He is now setting the bar for every bowler from here on out. So and he'll be the legend. being a part of that. Yeah, he's, he, he, he is a legend and he's in his prime. He's got many more years of competing professionally. And he's setting the bar and, and making it go up higher and higher every time he bowls. So being a part of that moment was pretty stinking amazing. But I also have to say probably my first shows with MTV um, because it led the way to allowing me to take the work that I did as Miss USA and become Kimberly Pressler, former Miss USA, Kimberly Pressler, who would be a television host, Kimberly Pressler, that's a sports reporter. And I love the fact that I was able to put my personality into it. And the public seemed to perceive it really well, and they seemed to like it. And I transitioned that into, you know, a career, and I'm thankful for it. So those moments, I think those three moments are things that I will, I'll never forget. Well, look, and you've obviously done a good job because when networks are calling and saying, hey, we heard about you multiple times, we'd like to hire you. That's the dream scenario there. I mean, most people are like, I'd love to have that job. And they're calling you saying, we'd love to have you. So congratulations on that. Oh, thank you so much. And it's, I, you know, it's it's humbling to even hear you say that because it's true. I, you know, I've been very blessed that um, I love what I do and I've been able to continue what I've been doing for so many years. And that um, they seem to like what I do. And that makes me really happy. Oh, very good. Okay. Well, last part of the interview here is the uh, rapid fire get to know you questions. This is like a game show. Ten questions. It's quick. It's fun. Just have a good time with these. Are you ready? I'm so nervous. I'm so nervous. Okay. Okay. I am ready. I'm ready. Let's do this, Tim. Here we go. Number one. Let's say we finish the interview and you step outside of your house and you find a lottery ticket that ends up winning $10 million. What would you do with it? I would take my daughter out of school, homeschool her, and I would travel the world for an entire year. Wow, you're a lady with a plan. That was pretty good. Yes. Number two, what is your favorite 90s jam? 
Ooh, 90s. Um, Till Tuesday. Uh, Voices, is that what it's called? I think it's Voices. I'd sing it for you, but I'd really embarrass myself. <laughs> Who sang it? <laughs> no, nope, not going there. <laughs> what is it called Till Tuesday? It's, I, I, oh no, I'm not going to do it. Tim, you are not going to get me to sing this, but it's Till Tuesday. Yeah, Voices Carry. Till Tuesday is, is the band, and it's called Voices Carry. I don't remember the name. Remember I probably song? remember if I hear it, I probably will, so I'll, I'll look it up. Oh, man. That's because, <laughs> you want to know why? It's probably because it's an 80s song and not a 90s song. That's probably why. <laughs> but oh, it was your 90s I'm jam. So dating. I'm so dating myself right now. It's totally okay. All right, number three. Tell us what you were like in high school. Um, I was a geek. And I love that. I was the head cheerleader who was also a geek, who was also a little, like, gothic. If you can imagine that, that was me in high school. Yeah. I was a little bit of everything. I hung out with everybody. All right, number four. What's the last thing you watched on TV, and why did you choose to watch it? (laughs) The Game of Thrones. The season finale (laughs) was last Sunday. That was the last time, or two, two weeks ago, is... Oh my goodness, I love the Game of Thrones. I have not caught up on this last week, but two weeks ago when it came out for the season finale, I had been waiting nearly two years, and I had waited all Sunday for this to come on. I had kept myself busy all day because I was so stinking excited for the season premiere. Are you a Game of Thrones fan? You know, everybody keeps telling me about it, and I refuse to watch it because I know I will waste a ton of time if I do. You will. So just be prepared. You are going to binge watch Game of Thrones, and then you're going to think, I am so glad I finally did this. It's a pretty awesome show. I love it. I <laughs> be love prepared it. Uh, to binge watch, though. Binge watch Game of Thrones. Check. All right, number five. What's Check. the funniest thing that has happened to you recently? Oh, my goodness. Actually, I do know. So in my 20 years, I have never forgot an interview question, and for the first time ever it happened in front of a live audience in Maine about three weeks ago and I literally was everybody was shocked everybody the TV truck was shocked I was shocked I was like I forgot my question and they're like okay just ask it now and I'm like no for real I forgot my question and the good part about it was I laughed everybody laughed and then after I got off the lane everyone was like what happened I was like I don't know but it was 20 years in the making so I'm good for another 20 years of not forgetting my question so Yeah, once out of 20 years, that's pretty good. All right, number six. What's the most interesting thing about you that most people wouldn't know? And I think we've probably covered a few of these already today. Yeah, I think think the little tidbit that I told you about wanting to be a Marine is probably something that no one knows, but it's true. I, I... I wanted to be a Marine. And then um, probably in my late 20s, I put in some serious thought about becoming an FBI agent. Ooh. I know. But I love hosting and doing sports reporting too much that I was like, I put that on the burner. And then I'm like, no, I really love what I do. So I'm just going to stick I with I really this. get the feeling that you love adrenaline, just period. <laughs> I think I do. I, think so. I, I I am not gonna lie. I do. There's something fun about jumping out of airplanes or bungee jumping or you know race car driving. I like it. What can I say? All right, number seven. If a movie was made about your life, who would play you? Oh my goodness, <laughs> that's a tough question. That's a super tough question. You ever I think about, know like, you I, know, what actor kind of looks like me or what actor would be me if I died today? Um, so she doesn't look anything like me, but I would take it as the biggest compliment ever if someone made a movie about me and they put Angelina Jolie in the role because she's amazing. She is super hot. And I'd be like, thank you, thank you, thank you. I don't look anything like her, but please, but you'd be if, good if, that. If, if that ever happened, I would be good with that because that's a total upgrade for me. I was like, yes. All right, Angelina Jolie. Number eight, what is one of your weird quirks? Hmm. All right, you ready? So one weird quirk that I have is that I eat a bagel the exact same way every time. And I like an everything bagel. So I eat the top part with all the, you know, all the extra stuff on it first. And I eat it over the bottom half of the bagel so that all that extra stuff 
balls on the bottom bagel <laughs> so that I can enjoy it when I eat the second half. <laughs> we'll, we'll, I eat it the exact same way every we'll, single time. We'll call that weird. I love it. I love it. <laughs> All right, number nine, what's the thing that you are most afraid of? Well, this one is very personal. The uh, thing that I am most, yeah, the thing that I'm most afraid of is that it's not, you know, a snake or spiders or anything like that, but it's that I do not live long enough to see my daughter flourish into the woman and grandmother that I know she's going to be. And that scares me. But that's a, that's a, that's a mom thing. I think every mom feels that way. Yeah, you want to be able to fear. see your kids. Yeah, you want to see your kid, you know, just grow up and be and, and see the wonderful man or woman that they're going to turn out to be. And that's my, it's a personal thing, but that's my fear. But it's a good fear. Okay. Last yeah. one, number 10. What is okay. the thing that you notice about someone when you first meet them? Their smile. It's, it's something that I am attracted to because I think smiles are contagious. And I say this so often, but smiling is my favorite. Like, I love it and I think everybody should do it. And if you smile, if you genuinely smile, the person standing next to you or the people around you can't help but smile. And it's the truth. And if you don't believe me, just go ahead and try it. Yeah, and sure. if you want to be a host, you pretty much have to. That's right. Yeah, and then yeah. your cheeks start to hurt from smiling so much, but it's part of the process. Well, you are off the hook. Congratulations. Thanks for answering the 10 questions. You did awesome. Oh, thanks so much. I was so nervous, but I hope I did good. Well, hey, this has been a fascinating conversation. I've really enjoyed this, seriously, just talking from one TV host to another and learning about your Miss USA journey. And uh, I have no doubt that the girls listening are... Uh, taking good notes on all, all the stuff that you shared with us. So thanks for sharing the time today and really appreciate you uh, coming on. Thank you so very much, Tim, for having me on. This has been absolutely wonderful. I have loved this entire conversation. Um, I am so excited for the upcoming Miss USA pageant. Best of luck to all of the participants. This is going to be amazing. Take it all in. Enjoy it. And um, yeah, just have fun. And I'm looking forward to having another sister in the Miss USA family. Thanks for listening to today's episode, everybody, and to Kimberly Pressler for her time. Now, if you want to follow Kimberly on social media, you can catch her on Instagram at Kimberly Pressler or on Twitter at Miss Pressler. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you wouldn't mind, please subscribe. You can do so on Spotify, iTunes, the podcast app, Google Play, YouTube, or go to lifeafterthecrown.com. And for weekly podcast updates, just follow me on Instagram at Tim Tialdo. Until next time, remember the words of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Remember, ladies, if you truly believe in yourself, you can achieve anything. Talk to you next week. Talk to you next week.